0: We're going to be in the book of Jude today and uh, you might have not know where this is, but it is in the New Testament and it's right, it's like almost as far into the New Testament as you can get outside of Revelation, all right? And Jude is like that ne- neglected book because it's only one chapter, but also uh, those of you and us who start uh, Bible through a year reading plans, you know what I'm saying? And uh, we get through, we like, then we make it through the Old Testament and we're feeling really accomplished and we're, blowing through Jesus' teaching, going through the early church, doing all these things. And then we get to the holidays and things get busy. And it's like, oh, just skip to the end, right? And we skip right over Jude and go to Revelation. And they were like, man, I wish I wouldn't have skipped to the end. What is Revelation talking about? Okay, like what is that? What's going on there? But Jude is kind of this, this lost book. And we're going to talk about it today. But the reason I wanted to play that song, Hey Jude, is because Hey Jude was actually written to Jules, which is John Lennon's son, Julian, okay? But they decided that Jules didn't rhyme with enough things, I guess. And they were like, let's just change it to Jude. So when you hear, hey, Jude, know that Paul actually wrote this to John Lennon's son. And it's kind of this inspiring thing. His name is Jules. But just like that, Jude in the Bible, his name actually wasn't Jude. It was actually Judah, all right? So I don't know why we're about changing people's names. Maybe Jude just rhymes with more things in the Bible too. And so they changed it to Jude, but it's actually Judah or some people say Judas. And he didn't want to take that name, obviously. So he just said, let's just go with Jude. All right, let's shorten it. Um, But look at these lyrics. If we were to really look at Jude and let's just, let's just baptize it a little bit. Okay. In the replace of him, let's put Jesus. Okay. Hey, Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. Remember to let Jesus into your heart. And then you can start to make it better. It's not without Jesus. Hey, Jude, don't be afraid. You were made to go out and get Jesus. The minute you let Jesus under your skin, then you can begin to make it better. Am I, am I right? Like, this good little song right there. All right, let's baptize. No, just kidding. Uh, yeah, okay, give it up for the Beatles. Um, yeah, so Jude, uh, let me just kind of give you some framework. Jude is the youngest half-brother of Jesus. Okay, can you imagine having that? Like, we, you know, sometimes we... Uh, we might go to our parents when we were younger. We might say, oh my gosh, you just think they're perfect, right? You know, like we can never do anything wrong. Well, he, his brother was Jesus, okay? Like literally perfect. The worst thing that Jesus ever did was like stay away when his parents left and where'd they find him? Teaching in the synagogues, right? Like that's the worst thing he ever did. All right, And so Jude is like, Oh, he just, yeah, uh, he does n- nothing wrong. And he's complaining to his parents. And literally every time Jesus comes home, it's like this, Whoa! you know, and Jude comes in behind him and throws his backpack down and like, no one ever pays attention to me. And I don't get angels, you know, like where's my angels at? Like Jude was like that younger brother to Jesus and had to look up to this guy. Um, but man, Jude handled it so well. You see, Jesus was from a Jewish family and Jude was a really good Jewish student. He's super intelligent, super smart. You can tell in the way that he writes, he quotes things in Jude from Jewish passages. He is passionate about the Jewish faith. And it's said that he didn't come to be a follower of Jesus until after the resurrection. Okay. The, the whole life, he was like, no, we are a Jewish family. We're going to be in this. And Jesus is talking about some crazy stuff, like everybody's going to be one and my blood's for everybody. And so I don't know if I can get behind that. But the moment that he saw Jesus raised from the dead and Jesus revealed himself to him, he's like, maybe there's something to what he's been saying all along. And so Jude is such a humble person. Think about it like this. In verse 1, how he, re, how he actually explains who he is, he says, Jude a servant of Jesus Christ. Not his younger half-brother, not anything else. But he said, no, not only do I believe in Jesus, but I'm a servant of his. And I had to deal with him all my life, but I'm a servant of his. This is the humility that comes through in Jude. And so that's where we are. He wrote this thing in about 80, 61 to 65, just to give some context. And, and in verse, the first few verses, he says, you know what, I wanted to write a letter to the early church talking about how all of us are one, how I was raised as a Jewish boy, and now I'm a follower of Jesus and his blood is for everybody. And because of his blood, we can all be one. And He want to give this inspiring letter to the early church about how we can all be unified as one. And he says, but I was led to do something else. I was led to speak about something else. And as we read through the first 10 verses of Jude, you see that he was faced with this thing that the Spirit put in front of him. And even though he wanted to give this feel-good message to the early church, he said, I I was compelled to write about this. And this is what he's writing about. It says that in verse 4, verse 3 and verse 4, he said, there's people that have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. You see, these people had snuck into the church and they saw this freedom, this grace that comes from Jesus and how they could get away with all kinds of stuff. And they took that grace and that freedom and they twisted it for their own selfish gain. They started living for themselves and they said, hey, well, you know, Jesus died for me, so it's all good. And they started twisting grace and twisting freedom to suit their own needs. And they took advantage of the early church. Literally, these guys were like church ninjas that came in and they like, you know, come food their way in here. And they they started doing whatever they wanted. And then he goes on from there in verse five on. And he says, you know what? This is how God dealt with those people. I don't know if y'all know this or not, but the, the people that took the good grace of God, the truth of God, and they distorted it for their own gain, it has never ended well for them. No, like God over and over again eliminates these people, whether it be angels who said, I'm gonna be more than God or I'm gonna take a rightful place. What did he do? He sent them down and they lost everything. What did it be, Sodom and Gomorrah? Over and over and over again, God destroyed people. And when I say destroyed, I mean, he took them from this earth. And he sent them to Hades. See, God dealt very harshly with people that distorted grace. And Jude is saying, We've got some people just like that in our church right now that have finagled their way in. So, what are we going to do about it? How are we called to respond? These people are taking advantage of the good grace of God. And you know, people like this, you know, people that take advantage of things, right? Like, I don't know about, like, Halloween's coming up. Anybody ready for Halloween? Any kids in there, like, get your costumes picked out? What's your favorite thing about Halloween? Candy, right? Like, it's not dressing up. Like, it's candy. So these people, we live in Bella Vista, my wife and I, and we always, every year, put a little, our bowl of candy on the front porch, and we say, please take one. Come on, like, you can, you can have some candy. Um, Good thing for us is no one comes to Bella Vista to trick or treat. So essentially we're just buying candy for ourselves, like literally like, like what candy you want this year? I don't know, some milk duds. And so we put it on the front porch, say, please take one. But they show footage of people that actually put these things on the front porch and they're like, please take one. And adults out of costume come and be like, did you mean one bowl? You know, and they pour it in. (laughs) This happens all the time. Like people go and they take advantage of a good situation and they use it for their own gain. All right. There's also people, spe- like, keeping with the holidays, that you invite over for Christmas. And you say, hey, come on, like, stay as long as you want. Like, and they show up. And they're like, oh, you said as long as we want? Okay. You guys know what I'm talking about here, if you, if you know this, uh, this movie. But, you know, Cousin Eddie shows up, and he takes advantage of a good thing, and he says, hey, it's all right, it's all good, Clark. We're taking it with us when we leave next month. He's, what? Did you say month? (laughs) And we have people that take advantage of good situations and good hospitality and they twist it for their own. But honestly, this is what was going on in the early church. You had these incredible people moved by the grace of God, set up in this place where they, they were met in their brokenness, in their sin, and God's grace met them where they were. And because of that grace they started being really generous with the things that they were doing. They started saying, hey, you know what? Everything that I have is not mine. It's God. He's given it to me. And because he sacrificed himself on the cross, now I have this opportunity to give freely to people that are in need. And so over and over again, you see that the early church was taking in widows and orphans, and they were being very generous with the grace that God had given them. In verse 11, it picks up and it says, (laughs) This is how, how Jude feels about it. He says, Woe to them, these people that come in and they distort this. These people are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever." All of that to say, these people are worthless. You know, I know they're worthless. That they come in, and they're blemishes at your love feast. You see what would happen in the early church because there were so many people, especially in Rome, that had great need, that had nothing to their name, because they were basically squeezed out by the Roman Empire. There were slaves, thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of slaves in Rome that came to know Jesus as their Savior, and they had nothing to their their name. And so what they would do, they would have these potlucks, okay? They would have these love feasts, these agape feasts that they said, hey, come in and eat whatever you want. We're going to provide for those who have needs. And these people that he's talking about, he says "They're blemishes out there, they come in and they're like shepherds who feed only themselves they don't bring anything to our potluck or our feast they just come and they consume it's like they're not even bothered by it they're taking advantage of the hospitality of our people so woe to them such strong language woe to them and he goes on in verse 14 it's like getting fired up here he said enoch this guy seventh one from adam prophesied about them he said that this that the lord is coming With thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict them all, all of them with all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness. Of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against them, these people are grumblers, they're fault finders, they follow their own evil desires, they boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Can you say that Jude is kind of upset about these people? He's getting pretty mad and irritated. He's like, "Why are they here?" And he's elevating. You think that, like, right now he's calling the church, like, "Grab your pitchforks! We're going to get these guys out of here. We're going to kick them out of the church. We're going to do all these things." And all of a sudden, it feels like Joe Jude just calms down. But dear friends, like this is what they deserve. But dear friends, let's remember, like this is this is nothing new. This is nothing new that that we knew this would happen. The apostle said that this would happen, that people would come in, they would try to divide us. There would be people that didn't really understand what Jesus did on the cross and they would follow their own ungodly desires. They would do whatever that it was that suits them. We knew this would happen. Let's calm down again. Verse 20, But you, dear friends, Let's think about this from Christ's perspective. We know this is going to happen. See, today we're going to talk about the truth about grace. Because everything in us, it would be justified for us to handle these people that sneak into the church and consume, and they don't contribute. They take advantage of people in the church, and the hospitality, and the grace. They come in, and they just are like parasites that come in, and just take whatever they want. We could look at those people, and be warranted to kick them out. To look them in the eye and say, you know what, you're not getting it. You're not getting it, get out of here. See, what the truth about grace is, the truth about us, is that we, are just as bad as anybody that comes in and does that thing. We are just as broken. We are just in need of grace. The truth about grace is, is that Jesus paid a whole lot his entire life to give us grace to meet with these people. So how are we called to respond? Romans 5 and 6 lays out this picture. Paul paints this picture of in Romans 5. He, he says, you know what? The more that we sin, as sin increases, this really incredible thing happens. God's grace increases. The more we sin, God's grace grows even more. And essentially, Paul is saying, you can't out grace. Like, you cannot out God's grace. There's nothing you can do. You could go out here and go on a rampage, and you can't out God's grace. You can't do it. But verse 6, chapter 6 comes back around and says, okay, well, if that's true, if you can't out God's grace, as sin increases, God's grace increases, what should we say then? Should we go on sinning to prove God's grace is big? Should we go on sinning because we know that we have this freedom in Christ? He says, by no means. By no means. and This is, let me tell you, emphatically the strongest way that you can say by no means. You can fill in the blank there. He says by no means. It cannot. It cannot be the way that we operate. Just because grace increases every time sin increases does not give us a license to go and take advantage of the freedom that's been given in Christ. No, we are called to live as people that have been transformed by the grace of Jesus and pursue truth This truth tells us that we are called to be sanctified by the truth. We're called to live a life of purity, of integrity, of all of these things. And so the truth about grace is there's this huge tension with what do we give? Do we give a lot of truth or do we give a lot of grace? So if you come heavy with the truth and say, these people need the truth, they need to know that we are called to live rightly, that we are, are, of jesus like we need to strive to be like jesus they need to be hit with the bible and say this is how you're called to live and you're distorting it well people that are truth heavy they tend to condemn a little bit right they they tend to use this they're like oh it says in you know ephesians five or six that that that's the full armor of god this is like the sword right like we should just cut people down with the truth no that's not how it works when you're truth-heavy, you tend to condemn. You tend to look at what, happen, what happens in Scripture, and you're like, ah, you're not living to this standard. But on the flip side, we can't be people that only give grace, right? Like, we can't only be like, oh, it's okay, you just keep on sinning because of the tension that's created in Romans 5 and Romans 6. You see, if we're grace-heavy, we tend to condone We just say, it's okay, it's okay. Like, you can live how you want. Man, Jesus still loves you. It's okay, it's okay. You can do what you want. It's okay that you're consuming in the church. It's okay that you're doing all these things. Well, Jesus still loves you. That's true. But you see, Jesus kind of gives us this roadmap of how we're supposed to balance these two things. And it's kind of right here in the middle. Not so much here or here, but right in here, you know? See, and the the thing is, it's not a balance, okay? Okay. I used to look at this this way and say, truth and grace, you got to balance it. Like some people, they need about 85% of your grace in this moment and 15% truth. You know, like they need you to like, to, to understand that you're for them. And then you might tell them, but remember, you know, like Jesus called you to something different and just give it at the very end. Or maybe this person needs a lot of truth. Like, get yourself together, man. You know, like those people you got to grab by the face and be like, but just give them a little grace. But hey, Jesus loves you, right? <laughs> it, and I used to think this balance, right? This, this, this percent of, percentage of each. But you know, Jesus paints a different story. He was able to look at people who were far off from God and sit face to face with them and give them the full measure of grace and the full measure of truth at the same time. God enables us to be all about the truth of God, knowing that we're called to live rightly for him, knowing that we're called to be sanctified in his truth, knowing that we can talk to people and be like, no, the truth of God's word says that you are called to this. But at the same time, looking at them as a human being with incredible compassion, incredible forgiveness, and incredible grace. You know how we can do this full measure of truth and grace? we understand the truth and grace that's been given to us. We realize that when we come to the face to face with people that we are called to respond with both because we've been given both. We've been given this amazing thing of truth that allows us to not stay the way that we've always been, but our life intersects with Jesus and we start to live for him and become like him and Grace is the thing that's carried that out. Jude chapter, uh, chapter 1, there's only one chapter, but verse 3, he says this on how we should respond. He says, dear friends, I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, but I felt compelled to write you and urge you to contend for the faith that was once entrusted for God's holy people. Contend for the faith. You know how we're called to respond? We're supposed to carry this out as believers. To contend for the faith that's been entrusted to us. Other versions, other uh, translations, they might say defend the faith. Some of them say preserve the faith. See, we've been given this mission. God, whenever he left this earth and he's talking to his disciples and he's given them the great commission, he gives us God's plan A. And there's no plan B. Like he literally leaves it with us. There is not going to be an expiration date on this. He's not going to be like, well, 2,000, you know, 2,100 years, 2,100 years is enough. I'm coming back. I'm going to judge everybody. I'm going to come back with the Calvary. You guys screwed it up. No, there is no plan B. We are God's plan A, and we are called to contend, defend, preserve the truth that's been entrusted to us and bring that to the world. In other parts of Scripture, it calls us ambassadors of reconciliation. That He's given us this ministry of reconciliation. We are His ambassadors as though God was making His appeal to earth through us. We're messengers. We are the light of the world, a city on a hill that can't be hidden. We are the salt of the earth. That's my favorite. We're the salt of the earth. You know what I love about salt? Well, everything, number one. But you know what I love about salt is that in this context, it talked about how salt was this preserver, right? that they didn't have refrigerators that they go and put their meat in. They would actually just wrap it in salt, and they would preserve the meat longer so that they could enjoy it longer. The beautiful thing about salt is not only it preserves, but also makes it taste good. You know what I'm saying? Like, I am unashamed, that person at Cracker Barrel, that pours salt on my food after they bring it out, okay? It says, love the taste of salt, if you can't tell. Okay? That's what it is. It's bloating. It's, you know... Um, no, but we, but I love Saul and I love it for that reason that it preserves, but at the same time, it makes it taste good. That's what we're called to do with God's truth of message. You see in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But Look at this, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience see, we're called to preserve this hope that we have in Jesus. But we're we're also supposed to make it taste good and do it with gentleness and respect. And when we walk away from a conversation where we get to share the gospel or we get to share the truth of, of Jesus to someone, they need to be like, they weren't judging me. They weren't being a bigot. They weren't being a hypocrite. They weren't being any of these things. They weren't throwing the Bible in my face. No, they did that with such grace. And gentleness and respect, and they looked at me like I was a human, and my sin, and what they would believe is wrongful living. And they came to me with gentleness and respect. We are the salt of the earth, and this is what Jude is calling us to do. And this is hard, guys. We live in an offended culture. Would you agree with that? Like we live in an easily offended culture. It is hard. It's hard to be a thermostat where we set the tone for every conversation instead of a thermometer that gets hyped up because they're like, oh, well, you're just judging me. And people tend to lump Christians in to the lowest common denominator, right? Where we are just lumped in with every piece of bigotry, every piece of hate, every piece of ostracizing, every piece of, of, of hypocritical, like people that have they've ever dealt with. And we get lumped into this setting, and people are offended just by the fact that you're a Christian. We live in an offended culture. I mean, even last week, what did we see? Ellen. Did y'all see this? Ellen's sitting next to George W. Bush. And she was at a Cowboys game. I think, well, the Cowboys played in the second half. Um, yeah, I know. i have had a tough weekend. Um, but, you know, the Cowboy game, and she's sitting, and people were in an uproar that she was sitting next to George W. Bush. And they're like, how can this, this gay, liberal person that is an advocate for, for uh, equality, all these different things, how can you be sti- sitting next to this Republican, conservative president? How could you be doing that? And I love the way that Ellen handled it. I love the way that she spoke truth and said, you know what? I'm friends with a lot of people who don't share the same beliefs that I have and we're all different and I think we've forgotten that that's okay. And man, I, I hope that you get to put into some situations where you're sitting right where George W. Bush is or Ellen is right next to people that don't believe the same thing that you do. Would, would people, would your friends and family be in an uproar about you being around town with people that don't share the same beliefs as you? You see, this is what we're called to do as believers. We're called to get face-to-face with people that believe differently and with gentleness and respect, tell them about the hope that we profess. We've been called to preserve, to contend for the faith that's been entrusted into us. So this is what Jude is getting at in this passage. So how should we respond? How do we be intentional with this incredible opportunity that God's given us? How do we live with the full measure of truth and the full measure of grace that God's given us. Jude gives us four ways to do that. Let's look at them. Number one, ways we can contend for truth and grace is number one, we can build our, ourselves, building yourselves up in the faith. You want to know how to handle truth well? You want to know how to handle grace Well, Well, you interact with Jesus and you have a strong relationship with Jesus. We've got to know truth, but also understand grace in the fullest measure. We can't effectively be a messenger or a contender or a preserver of God's truth and grace if we aren't on the daily interacting with God's truth and grace. Are we actively building ourselves up in the faith that God has given us? are we just passive participants in coming to church? Maybe even going to a Bible study every once in a while. Are we just kind of passively doing that? Are we intentional about about building ourselves up in the faith because it's the most important thing that we will ever do on planet Earth? Do we believe that? Number two, we're called to be praying in the Holy Spirit. And we are met with this tension where just like these people that were coming to church and they were taking advantage of the hospitality of, of, of the believers there, they were taking advantage of this fact that the more we sin, the more God's grace increases. They were taking advantage of all of those things. We could easily just be just like them. We could slip in and slip out to the activity of God and never give it a second thought. But how do we fight our sin nature, our selfishness, and pray in the Holy Spirit that he would make us like him and that he would set our every single day with purpose and intentionality? Luke 9 tells us that we are called to daily die to ourselves to pick up our cross and to follow him. Are we praying with the intentionality of the Holy Spirit in mind to say, whatever it is, God, My answer is yes, and I am obediently following you today. Wherever your grace leads me, wherever your truth leads me, I'm ready. That's how we can contend for truth and grace if we are actively praying in the Holy Spirit. Number three, keeping yourselves in God's love. Now, we are going to screw this up. (laughs) Like, we're going to mess up. We're going to have days where we are completely selfish and we are completely out of whack with the Holy Spirit. We're going to go through seasons, even in serving something that you might love to do or going on a global adventure. You might be in seasons where you are doing the things and you're like, I'm right in the middle of God's will, but why am I so dry right now? We've got to actively keep ourselves in God's love and remember that his grace is so, so full that he loves us. That God loves me. And that no matter how I feel right now, because feelings are a terrible guide, a terrible leader in your life, no matter what I feel right now, I know that God's love is meeting me right here in this place. That there's nothing I could do or nothing that I've done that makes God love me any less than he does right now. And this is where fullness, this is how we can sit across from someone that doesn't believe the same thing as us and give compassion and grace and empathy to them. John 15 says that we're, we are supposed to remain in God's love, abide in God's love. So that what? Look at the last verse in 11. So that your joy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made complete. You want to know how you can show grace and truth to someone and look them in the eye and with the full measure of truth and the full measure of grace, love them well? You have joy in your own heart. And you're like, man, I just, I got to tell you about this joy that I have in me, like this joy knowing that I am, have been set free by God's love and that he loved me so much that he died for me. And not only did he stay in the grave, he rose again to give me a great power, that inside of me that I can hang on to the spirit and I can literally have communion with God as we're talking right now. He's talking to me as I'm talking to you. That's how I can be joy, have joy and love and complete and look at someone and give them the full measure of truth and grace. The last thing, number four, living sent with mercy and urgency. Think about that last part, urgency, living sent with mercy and urgency. Man, in in this verse in 22 and 23, he says, be merciful to those who doubt. Not everybody's going to agree with you. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy, mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Man, there is so much packed in here. First of all, we give mercy because we've been shown great mercy. Number two, there is an urgency that comes. Do, you, do we realize, like when we put that who's your one out there, like we put a name down on who's your one, that if they were to die tomorrow that they are destined for an eternity without God? Do we have an urgency that would say we're actually snatching them from the fire by giving them the full measure of truth and the full measure of grace? Are we walking in line with the Spirit that we have an urgency? And y'all have heard the term, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin. Y'all have heard that? Are we walking that line too closely? where we're kind of like, oh, well, like, you know, I can, I have, I have the freedom and grace of Jesus. I can kind of do these things. And as long as I'm loving Jesus, I'm going to church, I'm doing these things like it's fine. But man, Jude used some really strong language here. No show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Like we can't even for a minute think that we can love sin. We are not sinners saved by grace. No, we are saints called to a holy calling that means that we are showing mercy and living sin and snatching people from the fire of of Hades. Do we have that urgency? Are we that intentional with living sin? These four things, these four things allow us to sit before people and recognize our role as believers. You You know what I love about this? Is that these four things... Even though they're an individual charged, they're very communal. They are, are done together. We believe at Grace Point that we're supposed to promote transformative community with one another. When you have people doing this in community over and over and over again, and they're inspiring you to do this in community, and they are, they are like building themselves up in the faith, they're keeping into God's love, they're praying in the Holy Spirit, they're living sin, man, that's inspiring. Would we be a people that fan the flame of others and say, you know what, all of us have been entrusted with this gospel, this truth, this grace. Would we inspire one another? At the end of the day, we all desperately, desperately need need Jesus in this. We are all broken, sinful people that desperately need Jesus. When we sit across from people, that are different than us. We've got to not look at them as someone who is maybe corrupting our church or corrupting the truth of of the gospel. No, we've got to look at them as human beings that God has placed us in front of to show the full measure of truth and the full measure of grace to. Mark Iaconelli said this. He said, the church is not made up of of whole people. Rather, a broken people who find their wholeness in a Christ who was broken for us. That is the gospel. That we are a broken people who the only way that we could be made whole is having a savior be broken for us. You see, we can live in the fullness of God's grace and truth. We are called, we were entrusted with this gospel message to bring that to other people. And would we be honest with ourselves right now and say, we're broken. We need Jesus. We can't do it on our own. We're about to sing a song. It says, clean hands, pure hearts, good grace, good God. His name is Jesus.